Log Talk Radio. Chinese hospital and into a United States university? Well, we talked to Bob Fu today, and we find out what he can tell us about how one spirits dissidents out of China. And also, Americans have told pollsters enough of religious talk by politicians. Really? Well, we talked to Professor John Green, who knows why. It's all here today on Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick. I'm Patrick O'Heffernan. I'm in California. I'm co-hosting with my friend and colleague Chuck Morris in Boston, Massachusetts. We're broadcasting Monday through Friday at 1 p.m. on Cyber Station USA Network, the Blog Talk Radio Network, and our radio affiliates. It's June 5th. 2012, and we are pushing the boundaries of radio. We're listening to voices from all sides of the issues of the day, and we are joined today, as we always are on Religion Tuesday, by Deacon Mike Iwanowitz, our resident theologian from Our Lady of Sorrows Catholic Church in Sharon, Massachusetts. But right now, let me introduce you to my friend and colleague, our co-host, Chuck Morris. Hi, Chuck. How are you, Patrick? Pretty good. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the Venus Transit today. Are you going to watch the Venus Transit? I know nothing about it. What's going on? Oh, this is the um, uh, a once every 120 year event in which the planet Venus comes exactly between the sun and the Earth, and you can actually see it cross the path of the sun. And it's going to happen about th- between three and six o'clock today on the West Coast, which I guess means later, and obviously in uh, in, in your uh, six to nine in your coast, but. Uh, you won't get an opportunity to see this for another 120 years, which means you probably won't get a chance to see it again. Well, we won't get to see it at all because the sun's down at that point. Um, at 6 o'clock? Well, oh, you said between 6 and 9. Yeah, between 6 and 9. Yeah, you, I suppose you, we might, yeah. Yes, uh, at least sunsets much later now on, on the West sure. Coast. Um, and also, NASA's going to stream it live from Hawaii if you want to see it on a computer. But uh, you can actually see the, the planet Venus. It's uh, going to be very interesting. We've had two solar events. Of course, we had the, uh, the eclipse a couple of weeks ago, and now we've got this. So exciting. How are you, Mike? I'm just fine. Um, the weather seems to be up and down the last week or so here. We had 90 degrees on Thursday, and today it's 45. So. Uh, oh, no. That's kind of amazing. <laughs> you go from air conditioning to heat within a matter of a couple of days. Oh, that is brutal. Oh, oh, too bad. It's got to make up its mind. It's either summer or it isn't. Right. You know? Well, we had a, uh, um, um, a rather unusual church happening here in, in Los Angeles. Uh, as you know, there's been a lot of dissension in, in the uh, the Presbyterian church over gay people serving as uh priests and, and getting married, and there's been a, a big split in the uh, the synod there. And many churches have left because they uh, did not approve of gay people being ordained as priests. Well, now we've had a Presbyterian church, um, the West Hollywood Presbyterian Church, that has uh, voted to leave the Presbyterian synod. 
because um, the Sinai is not liberal enough about gays. Uh, that uh, they broke up over the issue of gay marriage, and uh, the West Hollywood uh, Presbyterian Church is now leaving the uh, the Presbyterian Church because they want to to marry gay to marry gay couples and as well as uh, ordained priests. And I think this is the first time that has ever happened. But uh, well, it sounds I, like the same controversy that's happening in the um, Episcopal Church, I suppose. Um, I you know I I just. Uh, I don't get it, but that's you know to my way of thinking. I mean, if they're if they're going to be biblically based, then they're going to be biblically based. Now, I wonder: is the Presbyterian Church that's ordaining gay marriage have they decided to more themselves of the Bible? Well, they've decided to interpret it uh, differently, and they've decided that, uh, that 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 as followers of Christ, that they're going to focus on what Christ said, and what Christ said is help the poor. He didn't say anything about gay people. At all, and uh, but you know that. But they, that's so they're just going to take. They're only going to select certain pieces of the Bible and then ignore other pieces. In other words, well, everybody does that. Well, no, I don't <laughs> I mean, think that. I don't think that's true. That's, that's Jews don't do that. <clears throat> Although the Jews, there are some very ultra liberal rabbis, I suppose, who are doing gay marriages. They're doing it. <laughs> and again, I'm not coming in. I'm not bringing this up to make a judgment on gay yeah. marriage. I'm simply pointing out that. The Bible is, uh, you know, on Saturday in, in, in Judaism, when we uh, go to Shabbat service, we say Torah Emet, which means the Bible is true, the Torah is true. Well, we're, we're going to say, uh, either you believe or you don't. Our, uh, our listeners, and then we'll get back to, to the Bible. This is, I'm Patrick O'Heffernan. I want to welcome our radio listeners on 1490 WWPR in Tampa Bay and KSKQ FM in Ashland, Oregon. I'm co-hosting today's edition of Fairness Radio from Los Angeles with Chuck Morse in Boston, Massachusetts, and we are joined, as we always are, by Deacon Michael Wanowitz. It's Religion Tuesday. We'd like to be joined by you. You can email us at fairnessradio at gmail.com, and you can also call us at 424-675-6806. And don't forget, after the show, check out our website, fairnessradio.com, and we're we were talking about a West Hollywood church that has a Presbyterian church that has decided to leave the Presbyterian denomination because it wants to uh, marry uh, gay people and ordain gay priests, and that's uh, not within the uh, the I guess the regulations, the doctrine of the Pres- Presbyterians. This is the the first time a church has left the Presbyterian synod because they wanted to be more gay friendly. The many of have left because they felt the synod was too gay friendly. And Chuck was pointing out that. Um, they may not has asked the question have they given up on the bible and you were about to say uh chuck that when you in, in temple on saturdays you you all say what was the term we say when, when we when we honor the torah we bring it out of the ark we say torah temet which means the torah is true and either you believe that or you don't now there's only one example in jewish history in which uh the rabbis decided to do something that even remotely looks like contradicting the Torah. And that was when Hillel, who was a rabbi, who, by the way, was a contemporary of Jesus, um, issued what was called the Prose Bowl. And what that, was, what that meant was that um, every seven years you're supposed to leave your field fallow and not, uh, not grow. And what had happened in Jerusalem was that after seven years they had the the, the uh, quiet year, the year of not growing, 
And Antigonus, the head of the Jewish community, was not able to defeat the Romans because they starved to death. And uh, it was a complete disaster. Yeah. So Hillel came up with a formula in which the seventh year could be, you could work your way around it, but it didn't negate it. It basically involved technically selling the field to a non-Jew, basically, <laughs> and yet continuing to do this. So that is that the one. It, that's right. And in in, in 6,000 years, that is the only example well, in, I, um, in Judaism. Where, where And that really wasn't, you know, yeah. contradicting well, the Torah. It well, was simply asked, doing something. You ask the question, does that mean that they're abandoning the Bible? And, and I replied that um, uh, they're being selective about the Bible, and you right. and you said that, uh, and I also said that everybody's selective about the Bible, and you said, no, that's not the case. So I'm going to have to assume that uh, all the churches that are not selective about the Bible, inclu- including yours, um, burn, burn people on, burn bulls on their front porch, sell their daughters into slavery, have multiple marriages, and, and um and kill and kill people uh, like the Hittites that they don't like because those are also in the Bible and um, uh, and as far as I know most modern churches have selectively decided not to deal with those particular parts of the Bible and they've only selectively decided to deal with certain parts of the Bible that they like so I, I stand on my statement that every church selectively picks the stuff out of the Bible that it wants to no they part don't of Patrick. doctrine you're quite yes, wrong and, and, and I, it's, uh, I stand, wait a minute, I stand Patrick. on my word that's right no, there in that, front of well you. that's your that's what you say I'm yes. saying that uh, they do not contradict those aspects of the Bible they they haven't said it's now okay to do something that is opposite that they just simply they may not observe certain things and by the way the Hittites disappeared 4,000 years ago so because they got all no murdered people, that, that, no, they didn't. Actually, they they became uh, Turks. But okay. uh, but but the fact is that there are no Hittites today, so it's not contradicting anything. These are people that no longer exist. And as far as the other things are concerned, it does not actively say that you should murder anybody. It says it, it allows the you know it calls for a judicial system that can eventually lead to someone's execution. But but there is still no rabbinic authority, there's no Jewish synagogue, and there are no rabbis who have decided, well, it's okay to do any of the things that the Bible says you shouldn't do. They may not necessarily enforce those rules, but they're not contradicting those rules. There's a big difference. Well, the West Hollywood Presbyterian Church has decided not to enforce the uh, the rules about no, uh, same-sex marriage. No, they're actually and actively... Obviously, if, if, you, if some churches decide they don't want to enforce the rules about selling your daughter... Uh, the other the churches can not enforce the rules about gay marriage. Also, I want to point out that Christians keep saying that that uh, marriage is the, has been historically defined as the marriage between one man and one woman. That's the way it's always been, and that's the way it should be. And I and I beg to differ because every single marriage in the Old Testament is one man and many women. So we've changed the the definition of marriage in modern times to be one man and one woman, or one man and one man, or one man and one woman. One woman and one man, but I, I do not. I, I reject the idea that it has always been the marriage of one man and one woman. David, King David, had eight hundred wives. So no, that was Solomon. Actually, we're, we're changing the definition of marriage, unless you want to, of course, selectively reject that part of the. No, that uh, was Solomon actually, and he had a thousand wives. But Patrick, the uh, church in Los Angeles is not ignoring the biblical uh, admonition, they are actively contradicting it by endorsing something that the Bible doesn't say. So in other words, that's like a synagogue. 
No, they're not ignoring it. They're endorsing the opposite. They're not. It's not. If they were ignoring it, then they wouldn't. They wouldn't be doing gay marriages, or they wouldn't be advocating it. They're endorsing something that the Bible says not to do. In the same way that if a synagogue endorsed having ham sandwiches. Now that doesn't mean that all Jews are kosher. In fact, a large number of Jews are not kosher, and they don't say anything about it. But that's one thing. It's another matter for the rabbi to get up in the pulpit and say, "We now have declared ham kosher." That's what I, that, there's, I know that this may seem like a subtle difference to you, Patrick, but it is a significant factor. The Bible is not contradicted. It, it, now, parts of the Bible may be ignored by individuals, but they're not claiming that they're kosher. They're claiming that they recognize that they're going against the Bible. Well, we're talking mostly about Christian churches here, and not not okay. about not, not about Jewish uh, doctrine. So and, Christianity and has embraced the old that the Bible says that you must burn a bull. It commands you to burn a bull on your front porch uh, to, uh, on Saturdays. It also commands you to kill your neighbor if your neighbor doesn't worship. And current churches have have deliberately disobeyed that. They do not kill people. No, it doesn't command to you to it kill your neighbor. I can, bring the, I can bring you the quotes Please on that. Please do, because if, you're if, wrong. If, it doesn't... If, the, if churches can selectively decide that all of a sudden they're going to redefine marriage to one man and one woman, and all of a sudden they can decide you can't sell your daughters into slavery, the West Hollywood Church can all of a sudden decide that two men can get married. Patrick, you have to show me where the Bible, Bible says that someone is commanded to kill their neighbor if no, they don't I'll, worship. I'll get you the quote on that. Thank you. Please do, because it's a very serious accusation, and it's not, it's not true. not an accusation. It's a quote. It, then give me the quote. Since you made it, you brought it up, and I would, I would assume that you'd have it ready to deliver. No, and I, I want to know, I want to know the I exact will. verse, and I want to hear the quote in its full context. Otherwise, you're just making this stuff up. I, I will get that quote. Mike, do you have anything to say on this before we take a break? Well, I think, you know, <clears throat> this is one of these areas where we need a bit more time to talk about the nature of, and not just one man and one woman, but it says in Genesis that that is why a man leaves his house and family to marry a woman, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's the basis for saying that you need a male and a female for marriage. But what about all those those good Old Testament Christian leaders that had many many wives? They, they did. They had the same marriage relationship with with more than one woman. It, but there was know, two with a woman. <laughs> I mean, it was clearly different. The definition, you know, the biblical definition of marriage, is when the man goes into or unto the woman, which is a euphemism for sexual intercourse. And that's that's uh, throughout the Bible. I mean, that's it doesn't say you can't have more than one, but it does define that as a marriage. The idea of the mar the monogamous marriage actually emerged during the Roman times, uh, more than more than the Jewish times. But the, regardless, the, but it also doesn't command you to have more than one wife. No, it doesn't. But it also but but the people who say that we're change that uh, gay people are trying to change the definition of marriage are wrong. The definition of marriage has never been one man and one woman. And incidentally, uh, you you probably want to look at Exodus thirty one, twelve to fifteen. Exodus what does it say? Twelve to fifteen. Well, I have yeah. to take a break now and bring on a uh, uh, a guest, so we'll have to deal with this later on. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Block Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. And we will be right back with Bob Fu. We're going to talk about how he managed to get a blind dissident lawyer out of China.
back. It's Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick. We're on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. And this segment is brought to you by Barton Publishing, bartonpublishing.com, your source of information on how to manage your health and your body naturally without using dangerous or expensive drugs. We'd like to have you be part of the show. You can call in, 424-675-6806. You can also email us at fairnessradio at gmail.com. That's fairnessradio at gmail.com. But please call us, 424-675-6806. Well, a few weeks ago, the world watched with bated breath as Chung Guancheng, a blind dissident lawyer under house arrest by the Chinese government for revealing forced abortion and persecution of Christians, escaped to the American embassy and was then sent to a Chinese hospital to treat a broken foot. And then, after tense negotiations, left China for a United States university. The man behind this story is Bob Fu, founding director of China Aid, an international nonprofit Christian human rights organization committed to promoting religious freedom and the rule of law in China. Bob Fu is with us today. Bob, welcome to Fairness Radio. Thank you, Patrick, for having me. Bob, what can you tell us about the escape of Chen? I know you have to protect a lot of people in China, so maybe you can just give us a general idea of what your role was and how you negotiated with the Chinese government. Well, um, Patrick, uh, it, it's really I mean, uh, a daring um, escape by this uh, individual uh, self-taught blind lawyer, Chen Guangchong himself, uh, with the help of... Uh, uh, some of uh, the neighbors and the family members. Now I can reveal because they themselves already told the story. And uh, it happened uh, in the uh, midnight of uh, April 19th. You know, after suffering um, almost uh, seven years of uh, nonstop persecution and brutality by the Chinese authorities. Uh, for his uh, uh, advocacy for the uh, victims, uh, victims of the forced abortion and forced sterilization. And he could not bear anymore, and uh, so he has planned for the escape uh, for a number of months before he made the move, uh, and uh, scaling um, at least eight uh, tall walls in the middle of the night and uh, hiding... Um, um, in the, uh, um, uh, some dark uh, uh, locations, um, and of course, uh, finally, he was able to manage to get to Beijing uh, with the help of some other uh, human rights uh, uh, defenders. And uh, on April 22nd, um, I mean, on April 26th, he could not hide anymore in Beijing, and uh, he. Uh, finally got hold of the U.S. Embassy, and uh, uh, the U.S. Embassy provided a temporary shelter for him for six days before he was uh, negotiated uh, by the Chinese uh, government and the U.S. government and uh, walked out of the embassy. Um, and uh, after some intensive diplomacy um, with the international uh, attention, um, the Chinese government finally allowed him to come to the U.S. to study on May the 19th. Um, of course, uh, I played a, you know, um, some role in the um, international exposure and the campaign for his freedom and diplomatic um, 
of course, uh, um, uh, feedback, um, including two timely uh, congressional hearings uh, chaired by the Congressman Chris Smith, uh, just the for Chan and his family situation. I think all this uh, work together, of course, with uh, thousands of thousands of people globally uh, constantly and praying for this family, and he was able to come to the U.S. Um, with his wife and two children, finally. Was the uh, the staff at the American Embassy reluctant to give him shelter? Well, I'm not exactly uh, sure, uh, like, uh, their mood uh, right now. I think uh, one day Chen himself will have to reveal that. And uh, but you know I'm you know Chen and he and and, uh, and and myself are thankful at least uh, the U.S. Uh, high authority and I I heard you know Secretary um, Hillary Clinton uh, made the decision finally to allow him to uh, stay in the embassy uh, for a short time and um, the U.S. ambassador uh, Gary Locke has uh, participated um the decision making process as well um but of course uh you know handling the whole episode um uh certainly takes a lot of uh, ups and downs and uh i think uh, there are a lot of uh, uh issues in the rooms um that uh, need to be reevaluated and certainly some missteps and mistakes were made um, when the whole case was handled um, by the U.S. Uh, uh, government. Well, at, at, a, at a larger context here, you're called the uh, the pastor of China's underground railroad. Can you tell us about the railroad, and also why does why is there a need for an underground railroad in China? Well, I think you, Patrick, you are referring to the uh, the weekend edition uh, interview uh, yeah. with the Wall Street Journal editorial board and uh, with that article. Um, we, uh, of course, um, you know, uh, the um, China, the mission of China Aid is not uh, uh, focused on the um, sort of uh, rescuing people out of China. Uh, per se, uh, that's a very small part of our ministry when those extreme circumstances like Chen and others, we uh, sort of uh, decided to engage. And um, oftentimes, you know, we have found so many, many per, uh, persecuted are sometimes, uh, I mean, in, in, uh, their life are in danger and uh, if they're not able to get out. Uh, of China, and um, you know we have uh, uh, you know cases like Mr. Chen, um, who basically is going to die if uh, um, he's not able to escape and uh, and uh, get out of China. And I think um, uh, that certainly warrant uh, underground railroad to rescue them and uh, their family members. I mean, it's hard to imagine. I mean, he has not revealed uh, the uh, more details of a horrible, horrible torture I mean, um, against uh, himself and a blind man, his family members, including his 80-year-old mother who was beaten up um, 
in front of her uh, granddaughter, in front of her own children, uh, in her birthday, and um, and that she was even refused. Uh, I mean, denied to uh, to move to the hospital for treatment after beating up, including you know this uh, his wife were were tortured and. Uh, even with the uh, the eye bro- uh, bone was broken, and uh, it's on and on and on. And um, and Chen himself did not receive any medical treatment after being beaten, and uh, even lost consciousness. And uh, for simply uh, speaking up uh, to uh, by smuggling a, a tape, a videotape last uh, February. And um, so this kind of situation, I mean, with the 24-hour surveillance, the authority even installed a, a cell phone jamming device around the house, and uh, uh, with the seven cameras uh, around the house, and um, over uh, 100 security guards and government-hired thugs, um, uh, just uh, three layers of surrounding that house, um, even. I mean, you, you saw the, the CNN, uh, the the reporters um, uh, with the uh, the the movie uh, actor uh, Christian Bale, the Batman, right? Mm-hmm. And they were uh, repelled by force when they tried to even approach the village to visit Chen. So I think uh, it's a very uh, dear, uh, dire situation. If uh, Chen is not rescued, um, he could have uh, been already tortured uh, to death. And, uh, so there are many other chains, I mean, uh, in, in China who had suffered a lot, um, some maybe more than Chen. And I know, like, uh, another Christian human rights lawyer, Gao Zhisheng, uh, is an example. He was um, um, uh, missing for pretty much in the past uh, five years uh, um, uh, until last December, he was declared uh, suddenly by the Chinese government newspaper in violation of his parole and uh, then um, sentenced to another three years um, in a prison uh, in uh, the most remote area in Gobi Desert in West China, nearby Afghanistan. So, um, I mean, we are worrying about him too. So I think um, in this kind of circumstances, uh, you know, we um, have no other way to uh, protect the lives of these uh, uh, these uh, heroic um, citizens and uh, rights defenders, but to rescue them as uh, much um, opportunity uh, provided to us as possible. Um, so that's the reasoning. I mean, the, we, we, again, we rarely um, uh, use these channels, uh, only in a very extreme circumstances. Um, can you tell our audience why you're in Midland, Texas? Have you been harassed here in the United States by the Chinese uh, consulates? I was, and, um, you know, uh, one of the reasons is uh, this, this, this is a... Um, a relatively small city with less than 100,000 people, and uh, the people here are extremely uh, generous and uh, warm and uh, kind, and and uh, uh, and also they have a great vision um, uh, to uh, protect human rights and religious freedom in China. 
And uh, of course, um, uh, because it's a small size city with a very small uh, portion of the Chinese population, we feel much safer uh, by stationing here. Uh, I was in Philadelphia for seven years, um, uh, from 1997 to 2004, and uh, we didn't feel safe over there. And even when we reported to the law enforcement authorities, and when we see some suspicious activities, uh, people, you know, cars uh, parked in front of our house and watching ours. And uh, sometimes when I testify before Congress in Washington D.C. Uh, some Chinese agents would uh, went up to me and, um, you know, um, with obvious uh, uh, intimidation. And um, sometimes, uh, yeah, I got phone calls um, by these agents. I mean, they, obviously, they are agents because I, I learned about that uh, by uh, through the law enforcement and, um, in D.C. Uh, and sometimes we were followed. Um, uh, all the way to our hotel uh, by the Chinese agents with the, you know, their their uh, car license plate is a diplomat, uh, car, you know, from the embassy. So these are um, very obvious um, intimidation in the U.S. And uh, but you know we um, we we just uh, uh, need a safer place uh, to operate. Um, so that's uh, why Midland. I, I want to introduce you to uh, my uh, my colleague Chuck Morrison. We also have Deacon Michael Wanowitz with us from our, our resident theologian, uh, Chuck. Thank you, Patrick, and thank you for joining us, Chen. I want to really um, applaud you and congratulate you for the excellent work you're doing and the very courageous work you're doing. Um, you know, well, you're, thank you, Chuck. Yes, I mean you're exposing the dark side of communist China, something that. I mean, certainly many Americans, especially conservatives, have been talking about since 1949. But um, it, this is another opportunity to take a little glimpse into into the nature of this behemoth empire and its oppressive nature, and how the people are, there are living under this brutal jackboot. Um, the Chinese. Uh, w one of the things that uh, I think came out during the Beijing Olympics is that uh, while we we conventionally think of China as a society that is opening up and is becoming more liberal in the real meaning of the term, nevertheless, they still put approximately 50,000 people to death every year for political crimes, for not being politically correct. Uh, you know, there's attempts in this country to create political crimes, too, like hate crimes. But... Um, I think that's something that people need to be aware of. That that you know you don't you can be convicted not of criminality, but of being an enemy of the people, as the government may uh, call you. And that seems to me to be what it, what what was going on with Chen. Would I be correct on that? Oh, you're absolutely correct, um, uh, Chuck. Uh, it's uh, I mean, what kind of crimes Chen has been accused of? Uh, of I mean, it's just uh, all trumped up charges. I mean. In 2006, uh, he was uh, sentenced to four years and a three-month sentence uh, with uh, two charges. One is uh, called uh, uh, organizing the uh, mob to block traffic. Um, I mean, that's for a blind man, uh, how, how many people he organized to block uh, uh, traffic. And another one is damaging public property. 
Now, everybody knows uh, his only crime was to expose uh, this uh, uh, heinous and uh, brutal practice of the forced abortion and the forced sterilization by documenting over 100,000 cases. Right. And that was the only crime. I mean, the yeah, whole crime least, to do that. At, at least the Chinese, and this is not to praise them, but it's not like the old days when, uh, you know, Stalin or Hitler or some other socialist leader, they didn't use the pretense of saying that somebody had blocked traffic. They would just say, you know, these people are enemies of the state and that therefore they're standing in the way of, of progress. And the other unique aspect to this uh, situation, I think that people in this country need to be aware of, is that it was not just Chen who was being prosecuted. It was his family. It was his parents. It was his relatives. And that's something that is very uniquely introduced by the communists going back to Lenin, who started this idea of collective punishment. It wasn't just enough to, to punish the political dissident, someone who disagreed with progress, but they also would go after their family, they would hold people hostage, and they would view the enti- anybody associated with them as also being a part of the crime. And that's something, obviously, that's still going on in communist China, very, very troubling. That's right, uh, talk. Uh, it's uh, still going on. I mean, you have, uh, I mean, just uh, on Sunday, I had a breakfast with uh, a family, you know, a mother and uh, two uh, children, and uh, the, the father was kidnapped um, a few years ago when he traveled to Thailand and uh, essentially to um, Burma. When he crossed the Burma border, immediately four, uh, eight guns pointed to him by the Chinese agents. This is in Burma. Mm-hmm. And he was lead, uh, then sentenced to life in prison. And uh, still, you know, uh, in, a, in, a, in a dark prison in China, uh, and, and there's no reduction of sentence uh, for the past, uh, I think, five, six years already. And uh, so I was just, uh, you know, facing these two children, I mean, without father and, uh, you know, and the wife there, and um, uh, and this is uh, just one of uh, many many examples. And um, the they are accused of terrorists. I mean, ironically. Right. And um, uh, as you said, this is uh, a brutal uh, totalitarian regime. It's their nature. I think yeah. uh, many Americans sort of uh, are not hearing uh, more stories like that in, for today's China. Well, you know, I think it's hard for a lot of Americans to fathom this, and um, you, you know, it's it's, uh, it's difficult to sort of um, imagine what it must be like inside the Laogai, which is the communist Chinese prison system, where hundreds of thousands of people are are completely kept in unspeakable conditions and in forced labor, and all the rest. But I want to ask one more question before we go to Michael Wanowitz, uh, and that is. Why Chuck, why don't you hold it? We'll take a, uh, a quick break, and then you okay. come back and have plenty of time. Okay? Thanks. Because we do have to take a quick break. We'll be, you're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Blog Talk Radio Network, Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. We're talking with Bob Chu and we will put Bob Fu, and we will be right back. <coughs> <coughs> You know that feeling when you sit in the sun and everything tingles. And every time I sing this song, it makes me smile for endless days. I go round and round and round like a merry go for fun forever. How it makes me happy, cause it's a beautiful 
That was Beautiful Day by Vassie. Vassie's going to be with us on Music Friday next Friday. You know, it's because this Friday we're not doing music because we're going to be at the uh, Netroots Nation convention, but that's from her Beautiful Day album. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. You can be part of this. You can call in 424 675 6806. You can email us, and we do have some email questions here, but you can email us at fairnessradio at gmail.com. We're talking with uh, Bob Fu, and uh, Chuck, you were just about to ask a question. Uh, Bob, the, the whole pol- the, the communist Chinese policy of forced abortions and sterilizations was launched, I think, in the 1980s, um, yes. and um, it, it's, I believe, a state policy in China, still is apparently. Um, has uh, I know the United States government has not had any direct involvement in that. I don't think that it would be fair to say that they have. But there are several quasi-government agencies or agencies that receive uh, our taxpayer money who have. And I'm wondering if you could comment on that. I know that, for example, International Planned Parenthood and the AID, as well as the UN Population Control, have been involved. Can you tell us to what degree they've been involved, and is this something that's of concern? Oh, absolutely. Um, I I think uh, actually our taxpayers' money uh, since uh, four years ago uh, have been sent every year to support this Chinese government uh, one-child policy. And uh, every year, I think it's uh, over $150 million to the U.N., um, uh, I think uh, called a UN Fund for Children uh, and Population. Right. Population. And, uh, yeah, and the U- that fund has been used um, inside China uh, to carry out this brutal uh, so-called population control mechanism, and uh, certainly used for the uh, for this uh, for this brutal um, uh, forced abortion practices and forced sterilizations in the name of population control. So um, we should stop that, and I don't know why, um, you know, we are sort of uh, uh, ignoring the fact that uh, every day at least uh, 20,000 babies were forced aborted in China. And I remember in 2007 when I um, got a phone call from a pastor of a government-sanctioned church, and he was crying out and said his wife was captured uh, with the seven-month-old uh, pregnant, uh, seven-month uh, pregnant uh, son, and uh, by the family planning officials. Um, but the next day, um, when I was on the phone with him, he and his wife were in the hospital in the middle of the night, and um, um, the, the the two uh, poison doses of uh, uh, of uh, um, po- I mean. Uh, um, a drugs uh, induced uh, into uh, his wife's stomach. The baby was killed. Um, so that night, over 80 babies were aborted in that one hospital, and I asked uh, the, the pastor to uh, uh, to account all these uh, uh, these w- women who were uh, captured and forced uh, to that hospital for the forced abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, this that only one corner of uh, you know one small city of uh, hundreds of thousands of cities in China 
Um, so for ours, um, you know, in the, in the United States, uh, you know, we, in the Declaration of Independence, we said that the pursuit of, uh, you know, life, uh, liberty, and happiness. And uh, I think uh, for ours to ignore, you know, there are uh, 20,000 lives were killed um, every day by force. I mean, this is not a, you know, not even in the category of uh, the U.S. debate on the pro-life or pro-choice. I mean, this is the uh, this is not a choice. It's forced, life. yeah. Yeah, it's forced. And uh, so, where are these, uh, you know, women uh, protection organizations in the U.S. and why didn't they speak up? Mike, I hear you clearing your throat there. Do you have a question? <clears throat> the question, I, I guess, <clears throat> I would have for Bob is. Um, to what degree does he see any experience where Roman Catholics, I know the Merino uh, missionary people have had a long experience in China, and um, I you know, just wanted to know if Bob has seen any difficulty there trying to have freedom of expression in China? Well, the Catholics uh, the, uh, who are loyal to the Vatican, to the uh, to the Pope, uh, had been also receiving uh, one of the most fierce persecution by the Chinese government, and they were, I mean, uh, among all the uh, clergymen, you know, the bishops, the uh, priests that uh, openly declared their loyalty to the uh, teaching of the uh, Vatican and the Pope. Um, you know, almost all of them were disappeared or tortured to death or killed or uh, under still under long time imprisonment, and uh, the Chinese government has uh, um, appointed its own bishops that's loyal to the Communist Party first. Mm. So that's uh, uh, I, I think um, you know certainly the Catholics community. Uh, could uh, have spoken uh, more loudly uh, for the for the fellow brothers and sisters inside China, and um, I think um, um, you know certainly um, they have received uh, lots of persecution that are not exposed not uh, exposed uh, so far. We have a number of emails here for you, uh, Bob. Um, so I'm going to. These are mostly questions. Uh, Sinclair Powers in Oklahoma wants to know, why do the Chinese prevent dissidents from leaving? Wouldn't they want these people out of the country where they can't see what's going on and can't complain? Well, um, you would uh, have thought, you know, to um, get rid of these dissidents uh, out of uh, China, you know, would uh, help um, them, the Chinese uh, communist government. And unfortunately, um, sometimes they did, like, uh, you know, the exile, a number of uh, Chinese uh, dissidents um, uh, during the Clinton years. And uh, even during the Bush, uh, George W. Bush years, they exiled a few. But um, in the past four years, uh, they have not um, really exiled um, uh, uh, many at, at all, maybe even um, even now. I, I didn't uh, recall any of them. I think there are two factors. One is uh, the Chinese uh, communist increasing arrogance uh, or you can call confidence because of their economic power uh, in the world stage make them feel okay, you know, 
these are my enemies. Uh, I would rather jail you in my prison for life in prison than uh, you know exile you to the Western world and exposes their abuses. Uh, um, you know, in the hands of the uh, communist government. Number two is the international factor. Unfortunately, you know, from the current uh, the U.S. government to some of the European countries uh, try to appease China for some short-term economic uh, gain. Uh, you know, to 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 have China buy more bonds. Uh, you know, buy. Uh, you know, get more stimulus money uh, from uh, the, the Chinese reserves. I think that sent a very chilling and wrong signal to both the, to the dictators that uh, they can do whatever they want, and uh, as long as uh, they buy our debt. And um, I think uh, that certainly is a, a, a factor uh, for the Chinese government uh, to hold those uh, um, this uh, uh, brief. Uh, freedom fighters in their own prisons and uh, even beat them to death. Um, that's that's um, scary to hear. Um, and I'm, incidentally, our email address is fairnessradio at gmail.com. And don't forget, you can call us, 424-675-6806. Um, Long Sun Hampton writes, Did Chin break his foot? How did he get hundreds of miles to Beijing, and how did he get around the guards' protecting the U.S. Embassy, and I think actually those guards don't protect the U.S. Embassy. They try to prevent people from reaching the U.S. Embassy. Yes, uh, he, um, you know, I visited Chen uh, just uh, last week uh, after he uh, arrived in, in New York City, and uh, one of his foot, uh, feet, um, his left foot, uh, was wounded, and um, uh, when he jumped, uh, you know, eight walls, and one was uh, like four meters, more than four meters high. And um, he, uh, he was able to, I mean, in that very desperate, you know, situation, uh, you escape for your life. And uh, he certainly, he told me he he, he feared if he didn't uh, escape and uh, and persevere, and his uh, life uh, would be uh, hang on there and would be in danger. He could lose his life, and um, so he. That I think uh, really uh, made him uh, persevere to to continue his uh, walk, and uh, also uh, he did receive some help. Now we can tell uh, from his elder brother who transported him to another village, and he actually uh, hid in a in a pig's uh, house. Uh, sort of um, uh, for uh, arbors and before he um, walked to another uh, city uh, and with the help of uh, those human rights defenders and then he uh, some of the human rights uh, friends from Beijing drove their car and to that city and picked him up and finally he uh, managed uh, to get to Beijing so uh, he did receive some help, but um, um, even for the initial escape, you know, that is a tremendous uh, uh, car courageous act, you know, for a blind man uh, to do that. I think that that certainly is uh, the um, grace of God he enabled him, as well, he told jump, me. Jumping off of a 48-foot wall when you're blind, even if you're not blind, is an amazing act of courage. Um, 
Blaze Rages writes, do you ever see a future time when people will have freedom of religion in China? Um, I do. I mean, I do think um, I'm, 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 I'm still optimistic that uh, one day, um, hopefully not in the, you know, I mean, hopefully in the near future, China, uh, Chinese communist regime will be forced to open up more and uh, to grant the Chinese constitutionally guaranteed the relig- freedom of religious belief um, right now is stated. So it's not that uh, you know the, it's not that the Chinese uh, uh, have no law to guarantee that. So in the Article 36 of the Chinese Constitution, it says the Chinese citizens have the guarantee to uh, exercise to have the religious belief, uh, freedom, and uh, it's just uh, the Chinese government did not uh, implement or practice that. So I think, um, I mean, even under the current constant persecution, I mean, there are still every day, I mean, there are hundreds of millions, maybe, you know, Chinese uh, Christians are still worshiping uh, in their own homes, in their, in the, uh, uh, in forests or in caves. And every Sunday, even in the capital city of Beijing, and there's one, uh, House Church called uh, Shouwan Church with 1,000 members of uh, mostly intellectuals and the lawyers and the public uh, professionals. So they they uh, know that they would be arrested when they go to worship. Um, and um, for the past one over one year, uh, the pastor and the five elders had been under house arrest without any freedom of movement. Uh, those believers just uh, every Sunday went to a uh, designated uh, open square to worship. And uh, every Sunday since April last year, their members uh, from 20 to 120 some plus members were arrested and uh, stayed in the detention center in different uh, police department in Beijing. Uh, for one to three or four nights, and many lost their jobs and many lost their rented apartment for simply exercising their worship. I mean, I think this is the hope of China uh, in, a, in, a, in a broader sense, you know, knowing that uh, you go to a worship location, you could be arrested, you still go, and uh, you still go every Sunday nonstop since last April um, until today. And uh, I think that shows the hope. I think... Uh, I mean, the religious freedom um, uh, is not really just granted uh, or privileged by the government, per se. I think uh, you you get the freedom and courage to exercise, um, you know, what God has given, um, God-given rights to worship uh, and without hindrance. I think that will uh, make the uh, rulers like a Roman Empire and, yes. and uh, tremble. You know, Chen, this is a very encouraging sign in that Christianity, both, uh, Catholic, both Catholic and Protestant denominations, and also a third form of Christianity, which is much more generic, just a miracle-based Christianity, is spreading like wildfire in China, in Asia, in Africa, and that I think you put your finger right on it <clears throat> when you pointed out that... Um, 
the uh, development of Christianity will reach a critical mass, like it did in the Roman Empire, where it eventually will take over and launch an era of um, of Christianity and freedom and and relative peace. And that's a very encouraging sign. I think it's probably a lot bigger than we could can know. Uh, we can't get statistics, obviously, in, in a place like communist China. But it's uh, by by most indices, it's growing very quickly, and that's very good. We we have yes, a lo- yes. we have a lot of emails here asking uh, what is an approved church in China and how does that differ from just any regular church? You want to tell us about that? Yes, um, you know there are um, basically um, uh, several major differences. Um, the first of all. I think it's about uh, the uh, the biblical teaching, so who is the true head of the church? You know, in the government-sanctioned church, um, if there's a conflict between the government, a communist party, religious uh, uh, policy or regulation, um, uh, be, and uh, the biblical teaching, the, those pastors and the relig- uh, you know, clergymen or government-appointed bishops uh, would uh, adhere. The government, uh, the communist policy first, and uh, you you have seen last uh, year when the 90th birthday of the communist party in China happened uh, during several celebrations. Uh, the government-sanctioned church leaders and their pastors and the bishops uh, went on the stage uh, in the pul- I mean on the pulpit and and uh, and organize the singing uh communist revolutionary songs in the church and to praise the communist party as the eternal uh sort of friend uh with the church and um just totally you know uh ignore the fact of the persecution and uh so to them uh, the communist party and their leaders uh are the true head of the church and Christ you know when it's needed uh is the secondary the, so many of the leaders are communist party members, and um, so too is uh, the doctrinal. I mean, the faith uh, the difference is huge, and uh, in I mean, I'm not saying that uh, there's no true believers in this uh, uh, government-sanctioned churches. I, I don't know there are many, and they're just uh, you know uh, bonded uh, in these uh, kind of churches. For instance, in the government-sanctioned church. You're not allowed to baptize anybody under 18 years old. And there's no meaningful uh, Sunday schools for children. I mean, they have sometimes have a nursery. Uh, I mean, um, uh, you know, uh, class. But um, uh, the, the, the children are under 18 years old are, are called the successors of communism. So they're not allowed to be baptized. And uh, of course, uh, also there are um, restrictions of uh, certain scriptural teaching. Uh, you know, uh, like uh, prayer for healing, or miracles, are all regarded as the superstitious um, teachings uh, and Bob, are forbidden to Bob, teach. Bob, we are out of time, and I wish we weren't. This has been fascinating, <laughs> all right? But I, I, uh, unfortunately, the network is going to uh, intrude upon us. So I want to thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Bob. It was a great honor to talk oh, to you. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so glad. We'll have to have you on uh, again sometime. Uh, Bob Fu is the founder and director of China Aid, and you can follow uh, China Aid or make a donation at www.chinaaid.org. That's www.chinaaid.org. And thanks once again, Bob.
And that's it for hour one, but don't go away. We're going to be back after the news for your comments, and, and my apologies to all those whose emails just come in and we can't uh, direct them to, to Bob Fu. And in the second hour, we're going to talk about this survey that shows Americans are getting tired of hearing religious talk from their politicians. Stay tuned. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and on our radio affiliates. <coughs> Is it when I see your name? It's got me all busted up, butterflies in my brain. And every time you call, I can't seem to get it right. Why am I up till 2 a.m.? Now it's quarter past three, boy, you did it again. And I can't seem to get a cheeky smile out of my mind. I feel like a fool when I lose my cool. I'm just trying to impress you, boy, you got me sprung. And I don't know what. Friday program next week. We're not doing a Music Friday this week because we're going to be at the Netroots Nation uh, convention. And incidentally, if you've ever watched a Victoria's Secret uh, commercial, we know you wouldn't do that, but if you ever have, that's her music behind it. It's June 5th, 2012, and we are the only radio program in America that routinely listens to voices from all sides. And we are pushing the boundaries of radio we broadcast Monday through Friday from 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern on CyberStationUSA.com, BlogTalkRadio.com, and our radio affiliates. We'd like to listen to you. You can call us. You can call us at 424-675-6806. You can also email us at FairnessRadio at email.com. And my apologies to those of you whose emails we didn't get to when we were interviewing Bob Fu in the, in the first hour. You can also go to our website after the show. That's fairnessradio.com, where you can sign petitions for causes that you support. You can also read blogs, see photographs, and a lot of interesting things to do. And don't forget, this segment is brought to you by our sponsor, Barton Publishing, bartonpublishing.com. 
Barton Publishing is your source of information to manage your body your way naturally without using expensive or toxic prescriptions. Barton Publishing doesn't sell pills. They don't sell cures. They sell information. And if you go to bartonpublishing.com and you find things there that you like and you order them, if you put the word fairness, that's fairness, in the coupon code, you will get an immediate, on the screen, right before your very eyes, a 50% deduction, 50% discount off of your purchase. And, boy, you can't get that anywhere else. So that's bartonpublishing.com. Well, before we open up for our radio audience who are now in a news break, uh, first of all, let me tell you that uh, our regular Tuesday uh, theological consultant and expert, Deacon Michael Wanowitz, is with us. And uh, let me introduce you to our uh, our co-host today, my friend and colleague, Chuck Morris. Hi, Chuck. How are you, Patrick? I'm pretty good. And, Mike, you're there, too? Yes, I am. Okay, that was quite an interview. I, I still cannot imagine how Ching was able to jump off of essentially a 50-foot wall blind and make his way, even with help from his brother, to Beijing and then evade all of the roadblocks that are around the American embassy. That. Someday I hope there's a film on that. I hope there's a movie on that. Well, Patrick, I thought that was also a very interesting interview. It certainly confirmed a lot of things that that I've been saying. Um, I wanted well, well, to. What, what things would those be, Chuck? I'm sorry, I missed that. Well, I mean, I, we don't need to go into it, but the business of forced abortions and U.S. involvement. But I want to go back well, to that, that the was his position, and I, I actually disagree with him on well, that. You might and disagree. I know he's a partisan he, on, on this, and we'll have to get somebody from the other side to talk about that. I'd love to do that, I Patrick. He's wrong on that one. But, yeah, uh, we, he, he didn't right, state it as show. an opinion. He stated it as a fact, and I, I think I know, that he I has a lot of correct. Well, I think and he's I'm got a lot more credibility than anyone I've heard, and I haven't ever heard anyone say that's not true either. Um, I want to go back to the um, the business of the Bible. And um, whether or not the, um, you know, you, you quoted Exodus thirty-one twelve through 15 and said that this calls for people to be executed if they don't observe the Sabbath. And uh, yeah, you I'm also looking, should see Act fifteen thirty-two. Well, I'm getting into the, I'll do one at a time. I only have a chance to analyze one quote at a time here, Patrick. Um, and that it does say that. It says, but I want to put it into exactly what it says. It said, and the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel, the children of Israel. This is not a universal command. This applies only to Israel, only to the children of Israel. And right after the command, Moses then meets with his father-in-law, uh, Jethro, who begins the process of instructing Moses in terms of how to set up a government in the promised land once they arrive there and these laws only apply to the children of Israel in the promised land and the type of government that Jethro suggested was one of a somewhat of a limited government it began a process by which such matters could be adjudicated and that process was continued by the Talmud which of course is viewed as Bible by Jews and the Talmud puts a very high standard of proof before anyone is ever convicted of a crime that involves the death penalty now, there was never, as far as history indicates, as far as Jewish tradition indicates, anyone executed for violating the Sabbath. But nevertheless, the law is there. It applies to Jews in Israel. It has not been contradicted. There has never been a rabbi who has stood up, whether they be Orthodox or Reform or anyone else, and has said that it's okay to violate the Sabbath. 
You're not a Jew. It says, whoever does work on the Sabbath, his soul shall be cut off from among his people. And that stands. That means that if someone violates the Sabbath, they can do it, but they're not going to pretend that what they're doing is in accordance with Jewish law. The Jewish law is very clear. The Sabbath is a very serious observance, and that it could even go so far as you could be executed, theoretically, if you violate it. But it has to be, it kind of doesn't mean, it doesn't say how you're to be executed. It simply says that you shall be put to death, and then the Bible goes on to explain how governments engage in death penalty well, law. Well, I, I have to, 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 to welcome in our, uh, our radio listeners right now, uh, and then we can continue on with this. From Cyber Station USA, it's Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick, and it's time to say welcome to our radio <laughs> listeners on 1490 WWPR in Tampa Bay, Bradenton, Florida and KSKQFM in Ashland, Oregon. I'm Patrick O'Heffernan. I'm in California. I'm co-hosting with Chuck Morris in Boston. You can join us. You can be here by email, fairnessradio at gmail.com. And after the show, don't forget to check out our website, fairnessradio.com. You can also call us, 424-675-6806. So that's two ways you can participate in the show, 424-675-6806. And you can email us at fairnessradio at gmail.com. And also we want, want to welcome our resident theologian, Michael mm-hmm. Wanowitz. Uh, the, he's the deacon of the uh, Our Lady of Sorrows Catholic Church in Sharon, Massachusetts. We always have Mike with us on Tuesdays because we talk about religion and politics on Tuesdays. And, Mike, um, we've been talking about some some quotes from the Bible here. I pointed out that there is a mm-hmm. quote in the Bible that uh, commands, in this case, is the people of Israel to punish their neighbors with death for working on the Sabbath, and Chuck pointed out nobody, as far as he knows, has ever been punished. What do you say, Mike, is there kind of some kind of selective use of commands in the Bible by various religious denominations, and is that one of them? Well, I guess the one way to look at it would be a matter of interpretation, I know that sounds like a way of saying, well, person A has this idea and person B has another, and that's what many things are going on with respect to translations of the various commands in the Bible. Uh, Looking at the commandment, for example, uh, part of the Ten Commandments to honor the Sabbath, keep holy the Sabbath, which Chuck was just referring to in another particular sense in the book of Exodus, Even now, in the 19th and 20th centuries, uh, here in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, for example, we have had what we used to refer to as blue laws, which indicated that on a Sunday for Christians, the Sabbath, uh, that certain things just could not be done in order that those people could keep holy the Sabbath. And one particular uh, odd circumstance going way back is that baseball games here in Boston, uh, if the game began at 2 o'clock, at 6 o'clock it had to stop. You couldn't play baseball after 6 o'clock. On on Sunday? On Sunday. Okay. So I I guess what I'm getting at is the way in which we understand that commandment, keeping holy the Sabbath, has taken on quite a very – Asian, depending upon culture and places and history, and I think that's typically what happens, is that we see in the Bible a stricture or a commandment, 
And over time, people interpret it and make it content-wise efficacious depending upon where people are. Well, of course, we have to remember that the Bible is the Christian book, and half the world is not Christian, and fifth of the United States is not Christian, so it's, it only really is relevant to Christians. But uh, I, I know the, the phenomenon you talk about because we had blue laws in Georgia with uh, we couldn't serve, uh, we couldn't buy alcohol, and I think you had them too in Massachusetts. Didn't everybody have to go to New Hampshire to buy their alcohol? Yes, on they, and they still they still do, Patrick. And also the just the, to to not, to put the issue in a nutshell. There is no rabbi, there is no synagogue that is going to stand up and say it's now okay to to violate the Sabbath, even if people do it. You know, and, and in a sense, that's what we're talking about with this church. Now, there are certainly Jews who have been gay, and that's fine, but there's no synagogue that's going to stand up and say it is now appropriate and, and proper in a biblical sense to be gay or to at least engage in gay activity. That's the issue. It's not a matter of whether or not, you know, people are, you know, you know, what how people are handled in terms of violating the Sabbath. It is simply that the laws about the Sabbath are what they are, and there is no attempt to change those or to publicly contradict them. That's the issue we're talking about here. Well, well let me ask you a question on that because I, I was uh, I was at a memorial service this uh, this Sunday, this Saturday rather, at a progressive. It's called the Progressive Reform Synagogue in Santa Monica, and there are many many gay parishioners there, um, and many of them actually spoke at the uh, the memorial service. So, uh, do does Judaism have any kind of uh, strictures against uh, gay people? Uh, no. No, but it would so, not so come not up and say event. no. That's fine, and and but but at the same time, it would not come up and say it is now okay according to the Bible to have gay sex. You know what I mean? And in a sense, Catholicism is like that too. To be gay is fine, but the church is not going to come up and say we have now decided to contradict the Bible itself and say that homosexual activity is now permitted under our religion. It, that doesn't mean that people can't do it, but but the thing is, just like people can have ham sandwiches, but th there's a difference. There's a, this is sandwich. a very important yeah. distinction, Patrick. Yeah, no, I there's a difference the between the church coming up and endorsing yeah. something that is contradicting the Bible, and that that doesn't happen. Even your progressive reform church uh, synagogue probably wasn't doing that. Well, it, it's not mine, but yeah. Well, or it, yeah, it, the it, one it, you well, were attending. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying, and this particular church in West Hollywood has has uh, just has said that uh, we don't believe that that is uh, that those particular strictures in the Bible apply in this day and age, and uh, that's their right to do so. And as a result, sure. they have left the uh, the synod. My own feeling of it is that uh, this is stuff that was written 5,000 years ago by people who believed the world was flat and women were slaves, and that we really shouldn't pay much attention to it. But that's Nothing only my particular. That's only my particular opinion, and obviously I'm in the minority in this country. But uh, I do applaud their courage for saying we're going to do it our way, and we want to see to it that gay people have the same dignity and the same rights under our Constitution as everybody else. And they're well, no allowed to do they that, don't have... but they left the synod to do it. No one is saying anyone doesn't have the same rights under the Constitution. They're simply saying that the Bible, and by the way, the Bible does not say the world is flat. Uh, that no, the but Bible, the people who wrote it believe that. Well, everybody at that time believed it until Christopher Columbus. I mean, that's, that's silly, I Patrick. Let's not, yeah, let's, and scientists believed it, too. Well, I mean, the, the scientific community believed it, too. I mean, because we didn't know enough about the world. I mean, that's, let's not be silly here. 
that's just how people understood the world to be because that's what we knew the world to be at that time until we had a scientific discovery. And the uh, world has changed, but unfortunately some of the beliefs that have been imported from 5,000 years ago haven't changed, and it's my position that we should start ignoring them. And that's No, I think that the Bible can never be changed because it was given by God. And well, uh, it's opinion. okay with me if a synagogue or a church wants to change it, but they should admit that they're no longer under the uh, understanding of the Bible, and that's would, their business. Well, you believe it was given by God. I don't think so. I think it was, the, it was a collection of prehistoric and, uh, myths that were all given cobbled by together by various people over the years for their own personal benefit and power, and somehow it's managed to, to extend itself into the 21st century, and it's causing a lot of problems as a result of that. That's a Marxist view. But that's my opinion. It's a Marxist view. And well, also, no, look, again, view, it's a well, I, I can explain why Marxist. it is. I don't but know if Marxists ever said that or not. No, the idea that view. everything was created to exploit people. But look, the, you, we, you and I, could, we can't say whether or not it was given by God. That's my belief. Yeah. But whether it was given a God by God or not, the Bible is held, certainly in Jewish synagogues and in most churches, as the... Uh, the definitive law, oh, yeah, and, if, and, and if people aren't going to say, if they're going to start creating new laws that contradict things in the Bible, again, that's their business, but they're no longer biblical. That's well, all. That's why this church decided to leave, and we have to take right. a break because we have a, a guest coming up, so you're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates, and we will be right back. We're going to talk about this survey that shows that Americans want to hear less political talk or less religious talk from their politicians and find out uh, why. Stay tuned. You're listening to Fairness Radio. by Vassie, and Vassie's going to be with us on Music Friday next Friday, not this Friday. This this Friday, uh, Chuck and I are going to be broadcasting live 
from the Netroots Nation Foundation, but you can start Netroots Nation Convention in Providence, Rhode Island. Netroots Nation is the annual convention of the progressive bloggers of the United States, and I'm sure it's going to be lots of fun. We're going to be out there with a lot of other radio stations uh, covering it. And uh, so we'll be, uh, we'll be broadcasting uh, on Friday. We'll be interviewing people, so we won't have music Friday. But you can still call in. You can call in and, and ask questions. Last year uh, I was there live, and we interviewed the head of the, of the Teamsters Union and, uh, and the head of Planned Parenthood and a few, few other people like that. So, Chuck, I, I think we're going to have a lot of fun there. Incidentally, yep. you're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick at the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. And Chuck and Mike, our guest is um, is calling in. Um, I just talked to his secretary, and uh, he has to call us back, so he'll be right with us. Just want to remind everybody that uh, this segment is brought to you by Barton Publishing, bartonpublishing.com. Barton Publishing is your source of information to manage your health your body, your way, naturally, using information that's, that is written by doctors and by experts on whatever you need, whether it's the common cold or diabetes or whatever it is. You go to bartonpublishing.com, you find the information you want, and you order it, and right there on the screen you'll be asked to give, you'll be asked to give us um, your, your phone number. Uh, I'm sorry, you'll be asked to give a... Um, a coupon code, and the coupon code is uh, fairness. And I think I hear our uh, our guest uh, calling, so I'll be right back. Okay. That was him on the. Uh, he called the. Uh, he's been calling the office, uh, the studio office line. So I told him to call back on in the studio line because otherwise I've got to hold the phone up to the microphone. It doesn't sound very good. You probably yeah. Have we that we don't want to do it that way. <laughs> this is uh, yeah. I mean, this, he needs to do it the old-fashioned way, the way you instructed. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, there have. I think there have been some times that we've actually had to do that. Sure. Way way back, that was almost three years ago when we started this show. It's been that long, Patrick? It's been that long. Yikes! I know, yep, I know. Um, we've all aged a bit. The well, when you see me, you'll see that I've aged. <laughs> oh, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the equipment's gotten better, but we're not sure about the announcers. <laughs> right. Well, how about how about you, Mike? You, you, uh, you've been with us for three years too, haven't you? <clears throat> I think it's uh, at least. Yeah. Yep. Mike <clears throat> actually was doing broadcasting with me, Patrick, before you. That's mm-hmm. right. So Mike's been around quite a bit. Um, that was from the wine tasting place in um, Patriot Place right. in Duxborough. Tasting's wine bar and in um, Patriot Place. Wait a minute. You guys used to broadcast from a wine bar? Yes. Yes, right. Great fun. Uh, here I am out in California, wine country, and you guys get the broadcast from a wine bar. Something's wrong. This, this was the Patriot place where the New England Patriots uh, have their stadium, the Gillette Stadium. I'll be darned. Okay. Yep. Well, we're, I still don't see our our um, our guest on the board. So, Chuck, why don't you uh, take over for a while while I see if I can figure out what's going on here, okay? All right, Patrick. Um there's um, Mike. I'm sure you know that there's a pretty hot and heavy election going on right now in Wisconsin. 
Oh, yes. Uh, right. <clears throat> and there's uh, apparently there are lines at the polling places that uh, uh, they say it could take hours. It's a huge turnout. There's an enormous amount of interest. There are accusations being made on both sides of all kinds of funny business. Uh, the Republicans are doing uh, – the Democrats are saying that the Republicans are doing various funny tricks to try to get people not to go to the polls. And the, the Republicans are saying that the Democrats have uh, union – Thugs out on the polling booths. Right. It's uh, it's really quite uh, quite a lot of activity. I hope things stay peaceful. Funny, I'm I'm getting emails that that saying that the Koch brothers have uh, their staff uh, thugs out on the polling. So, so by the way, Patrick, though, you were wrong problem? about the Koch brothers. They um, do business in Wisconsin. You said the other do. day that they don't. You said, oh, they're just coming in. No, they have a huge oh, infrastructure. Oh, I know they do. Yeah. In uh, that we state, we have a guest. Our guest is with us. Sure. So uh, let me tell our listeners that a study by the Pew Forum on Religion and Public Life found that nearly four in ten Americans think that politicians talk too much about religion. And that's a dramatic increase from ten years ago. And a majority now say that churches should stay out of politics. Well, why? What has happened in an era when ex-Governor Romney's Mormonism and President Obama's Christianity are both questioned by various political factions? Has the American electorate decided that that faith is a private matter and that politicians should stick to solving prob- the problem solving in, in the secular world? Well, to help us understand these trends, we have invited Dr. John C. Green, distinguished professor of political science at the University of Akron and a senior fellow with the Pew Forum. He is also the author of The Bully Pulpit, The Politics of Protestant Clergy, and the, and the author of Religion and the Culture Wars, Dispatches from the Front. John, welcome to Fairness Radio. Mm. Oh, it's, it's great to be with you. John, could you give our audience uh, a little uh, sketch of the findings of the uh, of this particular uh, Pew Forum research? Oh, sure, I'd be happy to. For, for a long time now, for about a decade, the Pew Forum has been asking about the role of religion and faith in politics. And so they have really good trend data, and they can tell when things stay the same and when things change. And uh, back in the spring... Uh, they did a survey where they, they asked about uh, the role of religion and politics, and they found some pretty amazing findings. For, as you indicated in your introduction, uh, for the first time, a, a large uh, uh, more people say that there's too much talk about religion by politicians than there being too little or there being uh, the right amount. And it was really quite a large jump from 2010, about nine percentage point jump. Uh, so that was really quite an quite an interesting change uh, that occurred. And then it's not just that finding. There are a number of other questions that have been asked over time. And one of them is, should churches and, and other religious institutions keep out of political matters or should they express their opinions? And, and a solid majority, 54%, now say that, that they should stay out. So this, this is a pretty dramatic change. Ten years ago, the numbers were exactly reversed. So, so we've seen some pretty big change here in the early years of the 21st century. Well, why are Americans tiring of political uh, talk uh, about religion or politi- uh, politicians talking about religion? What's happened in the past 10 years that have shifted that opinion? Well, you know, in these particular data, there seem to be two impacts. There's there's what might be a short-term impact, which had to do perhaps with the very divisive Republican presidential primaries earlier in the year where religion was discussed a great deal among the different Republican Contenders, and and some of those comments were quite controversial. Um, But aside from you know this year's politics and religion, there's been this slow movement against 
having uh, too much or, or the opinion that there's too much discussion of religion and politics. And I think I think a couple of things in that long-term trend uh, that are going on is that the um, religion's been very contentious. It's um, the major source of divisions on things like abortion and, and homosexuality. And I think a, some, a, a growing number of Americans, not all Americans, but a growing number have become weary of that kind of divisiveness, particularly when they, they look around the world and see that in other parts of the world, religion's a source of conflict. Unfortunately, we don't have very much of that here, but but still, some people might think you might be headed a little bit in that direction. There's another thing going on. It turns out that um, there, there are a number of Americans that are impatient with talking about religion and social issues when there are major economic problems, problems that we can all agree need need to be solved. And so it's a sort of sense that maybe politicians are talking about the wrong things. They're giving the wrong priorities right now. Well, we just saw ex-Governor Romney give a speech at a major conservative Christian organization, and also the president spoke at the National Prayer Breakfast. seems like the politicians may not have gotten the memo yet. You know, they they may not have. <laughs> so that's always a possibility. And But, you know, even before these this trend in the numbers, religion was always something that politicians had to deal with very, very carefully. You know, on the one hand, it can help mobilize voters of a particular faith or a particular persuasion, but there was always that capacity for backlash, that people would not be favorably impressed and would end up voting against the, the political leader. And, and, you know, we may be seeing a little bit of that uh, now in this election, and the fact that such prominent leaders, you know, the, the president of the United States, the likely Republican presidential nominee, are, are paying so much attention to faith uh, may be troubling an increasing number of Americans. Well, there's a partisan divide on, on the responses and in, in the data, isn't there? Uh, yes, there is. And, and that's one of the, the interesting factors. You know, we see overall uh, a shift away from approving of, of discussion of religion by politicians. But, but there is a sharp division. Uh, Democrats seem to be the mo- much more critical than Republicans. And although Republicans are not as positive as they were a few years ago, on balance, uh, Republicans still think that uh, there's not too much discussion of religion and politics. And, and to some extent, those divisions reflect the, the religious basis of the two major parties. The Democrats attract a fair number of non-religious people, members of religious minorities, people who have a more progressive or liberal faith, whereas the Republicans tend to attract more traditionally conservative religious people, particularly evangelical Protestants. But one of the things that's interesting in the poll is, despite this partisan divide, the independents, the people who often determine the outcome of elections, the people in the middle, are more towards the Democrats on this one. They've also become apparently weary of um, a lot of discussion of faith and politics. Well, at that, I'd like to introduce you to my my co-host, Chuck Morris. Oh, please meet you. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, John. Thanks for joining us. Uh, your data uh, sees a change in interest in religion starting in 2009. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, you know, I think that uh, I think you kind of answered it in that um, it, it probably. I mean, this is just speculation on my part, but it's probably not a, a systemic change. It has more to do with a cyclical change, and that um, since 2009 and since the uh, the credit implosion of late 2008. People are much more concerned with economic issues right now. They're more concerned with the economy and with jobs and with, you know, the the mortgage, the value of their homes uh, having been imploded, and uh, and so I think that's 
that's mainly a, a response to uh, to conditions. And the other thing that occurs to me with, with regard to why religion is not people don't want to hear about religion this particular election is because both major candidates, Mitt Romney and Barack Obama, are members of religions that are not popular. They're, they're not viewed as favorable. Mitt Romney goes out of his way to not discuss his Mormonism. And Barack Obama, the whole business of the Reverend Jeremiah Wright and, and all, it's just people don't really resonate with, you know, they don't identify with those those images. And I think that the candidates themselves are trying to downplay their own religiosity. You know, I think there's a lot of truth to that, and, it, and not, not to pick just on Governor Romney, but he's a pretty good example of that. You know, there are, there are many, many positive things about his faith that, that might be able to help him with voters, but when he brings it up, of course, the unpopular parts of his faith right. inevitably come up as well. So that's why he doesn't bring it up. Yeah, even his government Massachusetts, because Mormonism, yeah. for some reason, it's unpopular both with conservative Christians and with the left. I mean, he can't win either way. I mean, he's uh, and I think he's li- kind of lives with that. I mean, he doesn't really. He tries to kind of walk very carefully, and uh, and I think the same thing is probably true with Obama too. I think there's a lot of truth to that, you know, because there are, um, of course, some Americans who are convinced, erroneously, but they're convinced that that uh, President Obama is a Muslim or at least comes from a Muslim background. Right. But, there, but there are other people, you know, more on the non-religious side who, who agree with the president's policies but, but don't want to hear him talking a lot about faith. They think there's there's other reason, ways to support his policies. Right. So that would cut into his base, in a sense. Mike? Well, it's interesting that in Massachusetts, uh, in the election in November, there'll be on the ballot in Massachusetts uh, a question whether or not to legalize physician-assisted suicide. And given that, it would be difficult to see how it is that with that question on the ballot, how can we have our leaders, political or not, uh, remaining quiet on that particular issue? You know, you've got a really good point. I mean, oftentimes when we talk about religion and politics, we talk about particular candidates. But religion is only one aspect of a person's life. But when you have ballot issues that deal with things like uh, end-of-life issues or deal with abortion or deal with same-sex marriage, inevitably issues of faith come up. And, of course, America generally tends to be a pretty religious country, but it's a very diverse country in religious terms. And so all the religious people certainly don't agree on on these types of issues, but those issues bring these religious connections very much to the forefront. And so people might want to talk about jobs and debt and government spending and health care and those types of issues, but, but those kinds of ballot issues mean that there's going to be some kind of faith-based discussion. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you if you could uh, tease out of the data, and this may not be in it, but there's been a lot of discussion um, on the president's uh, favoring gay marriage, and because and, you brought that up as one of the, uh, the divisive issues uh, that, that, that occurs when religion is brought into American politics. Uh, can you tell from the data if that would help or hurt him? Well, in this particular study, the one we're talking about, about discussions of faith and politics, that particular question wasn't asked. But there have been some subsequent surveys uh, that uh, asked people how they felt about uh, the, the president's uh, announcement about same-sex marriage, and 
a majority of Americans said it wasn't going to affect them one way or the other. Uh, that you know they were going to make their decision based on other issues. But if you took the uh, slightly less than half of Americans that said it would matter, slightly more people said it would be a negative than a positive. Uh, but pretty evenly divided uh, bet- between the the two groups. And one suspects that it probably matters. Uh, that reflects geography. You know, in a large part of the South. Uh, it's probably negative for the president, uh, but in, in the East Coast and the West Coast, it might be more positive. And the, the key issue there is what's going to happen in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Florida, which, of course, swing states, where an issue like this could galvanize people on one side or the other. Also in Nevada, New Mexico, Arizona, and Colorado, too, which are also swing states and have large Hispanic populations. And uh, uh, it's unclear, at least to me, whether that death um, will energize Hispanic populations uh, for the president or for um, his uh, challenger. Well, in, in, this, in the data that, that you see there, do you think that this is going to be a continuing trend, or has it peaked, or will it go up and down depending on who's running and what the issues are? Well, well my guess is that the, 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 the trend that we saw before this year will continue. So whenever the, the politics of, of the moment dissipate, you know, next year or the year after that, I think we'll see uh, the numbers go down a little bit, but, but they won't go down to where they were before. So I think there's, you know, we have a, a 2012 election impact, but we also have a long-term trend. And you can see this if you break the data down uh, by uh, religious affiliation. What we see, for instance, is that non-religious people have become less and less happy about the discussion of, of faith and politics. On the other hand, um, Conservative religious people, particularly white evangelical Protestants, um, think that there's actually not enough discussion of religion and politics. So, and then mainline Protestants, Roman Catholics, they tend to be kind of in between those two groups. So, um, you know, I, I think the, the long-term trend will will continue slowly, um, and the, so that faith will expressions of faith and politics will be an increasingly divisive issue. Well, I, I know you've studied religion and politics for many years, and you, you've written a number of books on it, um, Faith, The Faith Factor being another one of the books that you've written on it. Is this a cyclical process in American politics? Uh, yes, to, to a large extent it is cyclical. And if you look at this over a long enough cycle, not you know one election or two elections, but if you look over it like a 20-year period, uh, religion can go from being a very pressing, important issue to being kind of a of a back burner issue that's not as important. It never completely goes away as a factor, but, but sometimes it, it's not as important as others. And a lot of it has to do with the particular mix of issues that we have. Um, when the economy is, is bad and weak and people are concerned about it, other types of issues tend to be pushed lower down on the agenda. But when the economy is better, and particularly if it's the there's a lot of social change associated with a with a growing economy, then these types of issues tend to reappear and become important. So there really is a cyclical phenomenon. Mm-hmm. The, the, the cycles aren't exactly the same, but, but you can see the same patterns repeat themselves. And, you know, 20 years, 25 years, that's, that's a pretty good cycle. You know, you have a lot of new people over a 25-year people, a pro, uh, period in the process, and, and then, you know, it's almost as if people get enough of this issue or, or other things arise, and then it, then it declines for a while. If you look at the 300-year history of, of our country, is it, is it cyclical? Uh, well, within the 300 years, yes. I mean, we've had periods where 
where religion was very, very prominent, and uh, in periods in which, you know, it, it, again, it, hard, it never completely goes away, but it was not a subject of, of great debate. Um, and, you know, if you think back to this, the period of the Civil War, which, you know, of course, the Civil War was primarily about slavery and those issues, but there was huge re- religious mobilization in the North and the South because people really thought, quote-unquote, that God was on their side in that great conflict. And then, then after the Civil War, for a while, people just didn't want to talk about it, right? The, and part of that was the reaction to the war. And, you know, another period in which religion was very important was in the early 1960s when uh, John F. Kennedy ran for president and became the first and only Catholic to be able elected to the White House. And, of course, it was a big issue then. And then it kind of faded away. And so we're in one of those periods where uh, religion has been very prominent, uh, but maybe it, we're coming into a, one of the periods where it will fade away. Well, maybe religion becomes prominent when there's a sense of national uh, crisis and that people are looking and wondering whether or not we're, we're, we're right with God. I mean, it seems to me another example of a very religious president and perhaps a religious time was uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, very religious. If you take a look at it, every speech he gave was laced with religious references, uh, that, that God was on our side, that we were trying to, uh, you know, hold the fort in terms of um, the Western Christian Christendom. I mean, it was, uh, so, you know, maybe it's something that has to do with um, either looking at our own failings in, in which we've had many presidents declare national days of prayer and fasting or a time of uncertainty when we're wondering what is our mission. I, I think there's a lot of, a lot of truth to that. And, you know, we always have problems but, and sometimes the problems are more severe, but then we have those moments when we really question our, the direction. You know, we really wonder if we can cope with those problems, if we're able uh, to resolve them. And, Many, many people, uh, of course, from diverse faiths, but but turn to religion and to get that some kind of direction when they have that sense of crisis. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the the uh, <clears throat> Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. And uh, just wanted to get that in. Go ahead, Chuck. Sorry. No, I mean I, I just think that it has a lot to do with. Um, times when we stray from our, in a sense, our national mission. And religion has always been a part of that. I mean, Alexis de Tocqueville wrote about this. He wrote, while we don't ever have a, uh, a formal denomination as part of the state faith, something that, you know, on the national level we've always abhorred, nevertheless, the American people are the most religious people in the world, uh, which was something that he observed in terms of real belief. Although I think that began to change. I mean, it, it certainly started to change in Europe in the 1880s. I think in this country it began changing maybe in the 1920s. Around that time, there was a there was a move away. Well, yeah, there has been there's been a great deal of you know what what scholars call secularization, uh, much right. more advanced in Europe than in the U.S. And it, it, although the United States is probably not the most religious country in the world right now, it, it is the most religious among the advanced industrial democracies. And, you know, right. c- comparing the United States, say, to Europe, I mean, it's just a huge, huge difference. Um, and, you know, part of that is the, um, you know, the effects of, of the modern world. Um, but, you know, there's another thing going on in the U.S. which is important to note. The United States has always been diverse religiously, and it's becoming more diverse as we have immigration from Africa, from Asia, uh, from Latin America, and you know, some of those people are are uh, belong to the denominations that we have here, but they bring their distinctive culture and their 
distinctive perspective, but we have an increase in the Muslim population, the Hindu population, the Buddhist population, groups that were historically not very common in the United States. And what that means is that when faith comes into the public sphere, perhaps in a time of crisis, that there are a lot of new voices that want to, to uh, employ their faith to deal with the crisis. Uh, Mike, uh, the uh, the Catholic bishops have recently um, uh, inserted themselves into American politics much, much uh, more powerfully than in the past. Does it sound to you like they're bucking a trend on this? And I wonder if John could comment on that, too. Well, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the bishops, and perhaps they uh, echoing uh, something that Chuck said, too, about the fact that when people, uh, as individuals, undergo a particular crisis, whether it be in a person's life, losing a job or mourning the death of a loved one, then you turn to your faith a little bit and say, I don't understand what's going on, so I need to be re-energized by my faith to get through this. That can translate into a group situation and perhaps into a country in the Great Depression with FDR and so forth. When we had 9-11 in our country, I think a lot of people turned to their particular faith perspective to see what might be happening. But with respect to how the bishops are doing this, uh, it could be that they, as a group here in the United States, see issues that they believe need to have a particular uh, emphasis, influence, based upon the uh, the Catholic Church's position, uh, helping the poor and so forth and uh, all of that. So that's a complicated thing. I think it comes from the individual and springs forth into the larger entity. You know, it is it is interesting. You, you if you just look at the on on the face of the numbers in this report, you might think it might come to the conclusion that that the bishops are indeed going a little bit against uh, public opinion, even among their own Catholic parishioners. Uh, but there's another piece of data in the survey that, that may help explain this um, uh, in this direction, and that is that, that among white Catholics, uh, there was a drop in the number of people who saw the Obama administration as being friendly towards religion. That's the kind of question these surveys like to ask over time, you know, but who, which politicians and which parties are friendly towards religion. And so part of what may be going on here is one of the reasons people don't want to hear as much discussion of faith in politics is they see it having a negative effects on their own faith. And of course, many many Catholics have followed the lead of their bishops feeling that some of the health care rules and other things that have come out of the Obama administration are not favorable to Catholic institutions. Um, so, you know, you can have a couple of patterns happening simultaneously. You can have a sense that maybe faith shouldn't be in politics, but maybe that's because well, there's a sense that some politicians are don't have the interests of the faithful at heart. We're getting some emails in. We've got one here from Cakewalk uh, 2000, Cakewalk 44. Cakewalk 44 wants to know: Is it possible that one reason why Americans are saying that politicians should talk less about religion is that they've been talking too much about it? You know, I think that's entirely possible, particularly if you think about uh, the Republican primaries this year, uh, where you know you have various kinds of conservative candidates competing with each other for for Republican voters, and so the the issue of faith came up a lot, right? As Senator Santorum talked about it, as former Speaker Gingrich, 
Uh, in fact, one of the few people who didn't want to talk about it was Mitt Romney. But so there was right. a lot of debate, and and so you know it could very well be that that people have a long-term trends aside that at least this year they've heard more than they wanted to hear. Did um, did did Santorum really kind of tilt, or I say maybe tip the scale in that in that virtually everything he talked about uh, was uh, had something to do with religion or was strongly religious with. Well, he certainly did talk about it a lot more than than many other candidates have. You know, this year or into the past, and he did really seem to tie all of his issues position together with his religious worldview. And you know, from a certain point of view, you can admire that the consistency that that uh, Senator Santorum had. But but to a lot of people, those connections didn't make as much sense as perhaps they did to the senator. And some of the things he said. Uh, for instance, about President Obama's faith and about uh, people that he disagrees with, um, it struck some people as as uncivil, as being exactly the kind of discussion of faith that that was not uh, as con- as constructive as other ways that it might be talked about. And so, I, you know, I do think that um, Senator Santor may have had a lot to do with some of the unpopular comments that that we heard this spring. Chuck, uh, we're, we've got about a minute left. Do you want to ask a final question? Well, no, I just think that this particular election cycle, there's, there's uh, more interest in the economy and because that's exactly what affects people. And the uh, and uh, I suppose the subtext of that you, you might say is spiritual in that everything is, but um, I, I think people want to hear more specifically um, you know what uh, candidates are going to do with economic issues. I also don't ne- necessarily think that the Republican candidates were talking about religion all that much, including Santorum. I think that it was the liberal, um, you know, hosts of those um, those debates who kept prodding them on religious questions and trying to get them to talk about religion. And uh, they some of in the case of Santorum, he was such an inex- he turned out to be so such an inexperienced politician that he was willing to take the bait but um i don't think that i think that really the main focus for for them was was economic issues and where the country is right now well what do you think uh, john is that is that true you know i think there's a there's a lot a lot of truth to that the um and you know the religious communities do have positions on the economy but they're just not as well known or as clear as as on some of the contentious social issues for one thing, I don't know any religious group that doesn't want more jobs. <laughs> so, you know, right, the, religion doesn't have the kind of impact on economic issues. And we've actually had the head of a religious organization on here, a Jewish organization that works for more jobs. Well, we're going to have to say, to say goodbye. We are out of time now. But, John, this has been very, very interesting, and I really appreciate you spending the time with us to help clear up uh, uh, the reasons why the data looks like it does. So thank you very much. You're very well. Thank you, John. Thank you. Oh, John, um, do you have a website you'd like to give our listeners where they can go and find out more about uh, your analysis of this kind of data? Well, they, if they go to the uh, website of the Pew Forum, which is www.pewforum.org, uh, they can see lots of, of studies like this and this particular study as well. Okay, that's Dr. John Green, and, and you can look at John Green's work at the website of the Pew Forum. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back right afterwards. You're listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick, 
and on the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our radio affiliates. Don't go away. Patrick, that goes yeah, back tradition. to Washington. 
Yeah. Now, I, I mean, I don't know who the. It doesn't matter who's sponsoring it. The point is that the idea of a national day of prayer or a national event where the American people pray, that was initiated by George Washington one year after the Republic. Yeah. No, and I every know that. almost yeah. every president has had national days of prayer and and supplication and and fasting and 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 both both at times of great accomplishment when we count our blessings, but also times of great fear when we're looking for God's favor. So I think that that's a great American tradition. I don't know who sponsors it. I don't think it matters. I don't think most Americans care and, or even know. Yeah, most but of the point know. is that the idea of a National Day of Prayer is something that I think resonates in this country, with, with, and it has, every president's participated in some version of that. Yeah, I know. It just it just rubs me the wrong wrong way. Why why can't we have a national um meditation breakfast? Uh, well, that's what that prayer is, Pastor. This the national prayer breakfast is explicitly Christian, and that's what bothers me about it. Well, it, this is a Christian country, Patrick, with a yeah. small c. Yeah, no, In you, fact, you're right. Yeah. More specifically, it's a Protestant country. I mean, with uh, you know, no, no with all respect, Mike, to you and and sure. and, and, and and to myself. You know, the, even like the Catholic Church in the United States and, and Jewish faiths, the Jewish denominations, we've been Protestantized in many ways. Yeah, the uh, National Prayer Breakfast, incidentally, is, um, was founded by Abraham uh, Veride, and uh, he's also the founder of the Fellowship Foundation, which is a conservative Christian organization more widely known as the Family. And it Patrick, was, uh, does this have something to do with that house? Yes, it does. <laughs> with the panels? With the yes, wood paneling and the yes. the antlers, right, and guys that, who look like Rush Limbaugh with the, with thick necks sipping scotch and eating steaks and in the having, basement, uh, little assignations with their uh, their girlfriends, right, um, and with the big fat cigars, and they're yeah. they're puffing away in the smoke. You know, that I just I have don't this know image. About that. Well, I have this image in my mind every time you talk about this conspiracy of this house. I didn't say it was a conspiracy. I just pointed out that this is how it describes. No, you so. said it's a conspiracy, yeah, Patrick. Well, you and other people. I think it Come is, on. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right, and that that somehow they're secretly plotting to, to, you know, to take over and turn America into a theocracy. We're all going to have to take a loyalty oath to Jesus. Yeah, you know, I don't know. That's not going to happen, though. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but you do you think that that might have? Do you think that the prayer breakfast is maybe an example of a subversive event for the camel to get the nose under the tent? I mean, I think in a way it, it, it is, uh, because it's, um, uh, it's sponsored by members, Christian members of Congress. Well, well, why can't we have Buddhist members of Congress? How about there's a Muslim member of Congress? You know, they're, they're all excluded here. I think this is... Well, they, I think they could sponsor a breakfast. Uh, yeah, how many people would go? Uh, as many people as one. Look, we have uh, various... Sponsored breakfasts in Massachusetts. I can think of the Martin Luther King Day breakfast, which is a good one. You know, sponsored by. Breakfast? Yes, it is. Wow. I by Protestant, by Black Church, the but AME. It is Christian, but the yeah. point is that you can have any denomination sponsor a breakfast and have ministers come or whatever their religious leaders. So we could have a, a Satanist breakfast if you want. Well, but we don't. That's that's the point. Well, the point is nothing is stopping someone from setting that up and promoting it and inviting political figures. Well, well in Massachusetts, sure. In my particular area in Massachusetts, in January for Martin Luther King, we have Muslims, Jews, Christians, and atheists coming together to have a celebration. That's right. But how many members of Congress are there? And, the pre- and does the president come and speak? Ted Kennedy uh, used to go. Really? Yeah. 
Uh, in fact, uh, they're, they're, pl- they're invited. Uh, I'm sure the president would be invited. I mean, it's not, you know, anyone can set up a, a prayer breakfast to, pr- to, to praise whatever they want, Patrick. It's a free yep. country. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, whether or not anybody comes is uh, we'll exactly. see. But unfortunately, we can't set up anything because that's the end of the show today. Patrick, so, I'll see you at Netroots Nation in Providence. Right, and, oh, and tomorrow uh, Albert Navarro is going, is going to join you. He's going to talk Great. about the, uh, uh, and I just got the news that the eleventh, uh, the ninth district uh, appellate court has decided not to review Proposition Eight. So it looks like it's going to go to the Supreme Court. That'll be a very interesting conversation there. So, that, sure. and uh, and I'll see you Thursday at Netroots Nation, and I'll be on the air with you Friday at Netroots Nation. So that's right, and I'll be on the air Thursday at Netroots Nation, and people, in case people would like to call in. Yes, please do, and email in. And that's it for the day. You've been listening to Fairness Radio with Chuck and Patrick and, of course, with Michael Wanowitz. And uh, we've been coming from the Blog Talk Radio Network, the Cyber Station USA Network, and our affiliates. Don't forget our website, fairnessradio.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and sign up for our Twitter feed. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thanks for joining us, Mike. And stay, stay tuned for Mike Siegel. Thank you.